0: to yours as well. You know, I was thinking as we were singing and then having it sung to us tonight, the power of music and how it is truly, and this sounds almost uh, uh, like it's just kind of uh, staged words, but it really is the truth. It's from my heart. It's ministry. Music is ministry. It's not a performance. And uh, every song sung, every instrument played, every uh, Voice that to join together corporately is not just filling time to give people time to get to church or whatever the case may be it is incredible ministry for all of us and I thank the choir I thank the quartet I thank the musicians on the instruments and I thank the Lord for you being here and I'm just grateful for the chance to blend my voice with yours I've discovered about you folks you are uh, you <laughs> I'm not a member of your church, but I feel like very quickly I've been able to uh, uh, become a part of your church family, and and I'm thankful for that. I really am. You've been very warm and uh, greeting and and gathering uh, folks unto you. There's not a stuffiness in the the atmosphere, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm thankful for the privilege that we've had to be here with you uh, all day today. And uh, I feel like I owe you an apology. I really do. I think I misstated something this morning. And I I ask you to forgive me, but I want to make it clear tonight. You can hear a pin drop when I said this. Uh, uh, I I, I was checking my notes out and I was thinking I need to make sure I'm straight on this. I'm not real sure how I worded it this morning, but here's what I meant to say. Don't forget that tomorrow night is the most important night of the meeting. All right. I may have said something about tonight, but you just can't miss tomorrow night now. You just can't. And so plan to be here. If you're not laughing, it's because you weren't listening this morning or you weren't here this morning, or maybe it's not that funny, whatever the case may be. Look forward to seeing you here. You say, Mr. Preacher Man, I will have to come walking in the door even after the service begins. That's okay. Just come right on in. It won't bother me. Come on in. Get yourself situated somewhere and we'll be glad that you're here. You say, I'll come straight from work. I understand that. You say, well, I'll be in my work uniform. I know the feeling. So will I. And so uh, you just come right on and be with us. And uh, you say, well, I feel funny wearing my uniform. Don't. I love how some people, when they wear their uniforms from work, their name is embossed on the sweater. That's such a help to me. I mean, it really is to be able to say, Hello there, Bob. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here tonight. So uh, you you plan to come. And so I appreciate you being here again tonight. I'm trying to get some names and faces together. But boy, oh boy, don't test me. Don't test me anytime soon. I'll do the best I can. If I call you by the wrong name, just be patient with me. I'm trying my best. It would really be a help if you would if you'd sit in the same seat every single time. All right. You probably do, don't you? I mean, everybody's kind of got their general area that they sit in. If you could wear the same clothes every single service, don't do that. Uh, you just, just come on. We'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, okay? Um, I, on my way walking uh, from our room here uh, this evening, I saw uh, things set up there in your, you call it your, your gym, activity center. Uh, fellowship hall, fellowship hall. And uh, I could smell food, and I said, I, man. I just need to give a three minute devotional and and, and head right on back down there. Don't get your hopes up. But I mean, I was just it was just a thought. And I don't know what's uh, being served up later on, but it sure smells real good. I do want you to take your copy of the scriptures tonight and turn to the book that Peter wrote, his first epistle. First Peter. And you can get the last chapter, chapter five, in front of you. First Peter, uh, chapter five. If you would, please. Just recently, I was assigned for responsibility to uh, teach this summer to some teenagers at a particular camp. The book of, well, second yeah, Peter chapter one. And I have uh, over the last several weeks and maybe I should even say months. I've been digging into the heartbeat, the life of. And the letters that Peter wrote. It's fascinating when you read and read and read and reread the uh, messages from a particular individual. These men who were moved by the Holy Spirit of God as they spoke, their personality comes through in the words that they, they spoke with. And as they were given to us in the scriptures that you learn a lot about an individual. Fascinating to me, as I have read through both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, the the heartbeat of Peter. Peter was, was passionate. Of course, we know that from reading the Gospels. Whatever he did, he was all in with it and got himself in trouble much of the time. But the fact is, Peter was very passionate for people. He was very burdened for these individuals that he wrote his two epistles, his two letters to. He was concerned for them greatly. And he was concerned that in in, in any way possible that they may spiritually tap the brinks and slow down and to lose their forward motion. It's as if Peter is trying to say in his two letters, keep going, keep moving. You're going in the right direction. Don't stop. I love that aspect of Peter. I love that exhortive nature that I read in his word, in the word of God through Peter's letters. And in his letters, you'll find that he was trying to say to those people, you can continue to live a victorious Christian life, even though you're living in the midst of turmoil, trouble. Persecution, heartache, suffering. And he's trying to exhort them to not lose hope. Because, you know, when you're going through times of extreme, harsh difficulties of one sort or another, it's easy to lose hope just like, oh, what's the use? And to throw in the proverbial towel. And he tries to express to them not to become bitter. Don't get bitter. Because again, when you get emotionally wrung out, it's easy to point an accusing finger and get upset and bitter. And He says, don't get bitter. And to stop trusting in God's sovereign oversight. As if, as if God has lost control of everything. God, where are you? He was trying to say, don't go there. You can find that in both letters that he writes. Now, folks, I'm talking right here, where the rubber meets the road, where you and I live. We frequently find ourselves thinking that where is God? Does He not have the power to make change? Of course. Does He? Does He? Is He at the point to where He doesn't see what I'm going through? Yes. Does He not care? And so it's as if Peter is trying to say to God's people, "Don't be bitter." Don't stop trusting in God's sovereign oversight and don't stop looking for Christ's soon return. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through the hardest of trials, that's when I find myself saying, oh, even so come, Lord Jesus. And Peter is saying to God's people, look, he's coming again. Now, Peter said it in his day. We can surely know that we're closer to that day in our day. Though I don't know, Peter didn't know, and you don't know when the Lord's coming again. Peter was saying, don't lose the desire and the sights on eternity. Keep your sights on. It's all going to be over with at some point. We'll be with our eternal God. And he was saying, and don't stop evangelizing. Don't stop giving the gospel, even though you're suffering. And we come to the fifth chapter in that first epistle. And Peter's wrapping up this first letter. And he's saying to to the shepherds, the pastors, he calls them elders. He tells them to feed the flock. We don't need entertainment from our pastors. We need feeding from the word of God. And he says to he says to the elders that he's writing to among the congregational individuals that he's speaking and giving this letter to. He says to the shepherds in those first few verses, feed the flock of God. Keep feeding them. Don't stop. And he says, and be a leader, feed and lead. And don't lord over them. Don't boss them around as if you are the you're the head honcho of their life. You're not just a dictator. You're the big tater. I mean, you're everything. No, he says, don't be that way. Don't live like that. And then he says to all the other rest of the congregation, he says in verse five, if you'll look at it, likewise, ye younger. Now, that's a reference to both young people as well as young in the Lord. He says, you who are younger, submit, put yourself in a place of submission. Unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another. In other words, you're you're a family. Put yourself in a position of learning from one another. That's the cool thing about a church family. Everybody brings their giftings to the table. And as a result of it, we can learn things from one another. And he's saying, be subject one to another and recognize authority in your church. And he says there, he says, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Now that's one size fits all. There's not a person in the family of God who doesn't need the humility that he's exhorting us to have. What's that? It's to see your position before the Lord as being unworthy and there's nothing in myself to be proud of. He says, clothe yourself. In other words, it's a choice. It is a choice. You put on the clothing of humility. Clothe yourself with humility for God resisteth the proud. Now, where did that come from? That's actually from the book of Proverbs. He's quoting the Old Testament. God resisteth the proud and he gives grace. He giveth grace to the humble. And in case you hadn't gotten it yet, he says in verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, uh, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, I'm not just trying to give a running commentary. I'm just kind of giving you the quick backdrop of the heartbeat of Peter here. When he says that he may exalt you in due time, he's not saying that he will exalt you and put you in a position of such exaltation that you have a big S on your, your, your shirt that says, I am super Christian, I am super saint. The word exalt here and the idea here is you have, you have no pun intended, you have fallen down. This is not a commercial. And you can't get up on your own. He says, humble yourselves under what God is doing because he will lift you up in his own way and in his own time. Let him do what he needs to do. Again, trusting God's sovereignty. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary, an enemy. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion... Walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now stay with it. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Now look at this. After that you have suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion, forever and ever. Amen. And then he has a few last greetings at the end of his writing. Uh, several years ago, I was out in a at a ministry, a camp ministry in uh, California and I was preparing to preach in the morning chapel when my phone rang. It was my wife. She was back at our home, and she said, Morris, there's something wrong with my car. She said, it's making all kinds of racket, all kinds of noises, and I was leaving to run up to the store to uh, buy some paint that's on sale. She was working on some home projects at at the house, and she said, uh, she said, uh, she goes, I just turned the car around and came right back in the driveway and pulled in, and she says, "It's, it's, it's scary. She goes, I don't know what's wrong with it, and I and I said, well, what does it sound like? And she said, well, it's got this screeching and and squawking sound, and it sounds like it's out behind, beside the wheels. And and I'm not a mechanic, but immediately I thought that sounds like that could be brake pads. And I said, you probably do need some new brake pads. And I said, you know something, it it sounds bad, and I get it. But you'll you'll be safe if you want to run the car up the road to a a mechanic somewhere. Now, again, I'm not home very often, hardly at all. And so I, I didn't know any specific auto repair shop to send her to. I said, just run up the road about six miles from our home and you'll find some mechanic up the road there that can replace those brake pads. She said, I'm scared to try. She said, what if I break down between home and there? And she said, uh, it could. Uh, uh, I, I, you're not here to help, so what can I do? And I said, no, don't want you to break down. That's true. And she said, well, what can I do? I said, um, I don't know. I said, I just don't know. I said, let me think about it. And she said, well, I got I to gotta get with it here. I got to get to the store. I said, I know. I said, I just don't know what I can do. We have two sons I mentioned this morning, and they both lived where we were living at the time in the state of Indiana. They were both there. One worked as a youth pastor in a local church. The other one uh, worked at a uh, at a uh, enterprise, a business there in town. And And I thought, well, they're both as mechanical as their dad, which means we've got problems. And I said, yikes. Plus, they're busy. They're working. They don't have time to break loose. And and I don't know what to do. And I just told Lynn, I said, let's just hang up for a moment. Let me think about this. I don't know what to tell you. I said, but I got to come up with a solution. So we hung up. And just on a whim, I decided to call my one son who works at a business in town. Now, he never answers his phone when he's at work. But lo and behold, he answered. I said, hey, kid. I said, man, you uh, you, you got a moment? He said, yeah, dad, I'm, I'm going on break. I said, man, I'm glad I caught you. I said, and I explained to him the situation, mom and her car. And I said, I don't know what to do. And I don't know if you've got any solutions. If you know somebody that I can, I can get to go look at her car and so forth. He said, dad, I got it. I said, you've got what? He goes, I'll take care of it. I said, son, you're at work. Mom needs her car repaired now. I mean, it needs to be fixed now. She's got things she's got to do. And I said, we're kind of on a time crunch. I said, it's, it's got to be taken care of now. He said, Dad, I'll take care of it. I said, what do you mean you'll take care of it? He said, Dad, I've, I've got three mechanics who work here with me in our, in our uh, enterprise, our, our industry here. And he said, I'll take my car while I'm on break over to Mom. She can use my car as long as she wants all day long. I'll drive her car back up here to the shop at lunch. We'll take the wheels off. We'll look at those brake pads and we'll go. And he said, and I'll find the parts that are needed. He said, I'll go buy the parts. And I, at that point, I stopped him. I said, what? He said, I'll go buy the parts. I said, who is this? And what did you do with my son? You'll pay for it? And he said, dad he goes i don't have time for this he said let me do it and i said well he said son are you serious he goes dad i'll take care of mom and i remember being the the male gentlemen you understand this the man in me i'm 2000 miles away i'm way out in california i still want to be a part of the solution i want to be somehow or another there but i can't i couldn't say to my wife i'll be right there i'll come and help you i couldn't do anything i said to my son i said well okay You'll repair it? Yeah, he said, we'll repair it. I'll get the car back to mom by the end of the day and we can get our cars back. And he said, we got it. I said to him, what do you need me to do? And his answer was a classic answer I'll never forget. He said, hang up the phone. That's what I need you to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad, I can't tell mom. I'm on my way to come bail her out and help her as long as I'm on the phone with you. He said, That you gave me your problem. Let me take care of it. You go do what you do. Go preach. He said, I'll take care of it. Can I get you to read a verse again with me that you know so well you probably have it memorized and didn't even know you have it memorized? You've heard it so often. It's one of those verses that comes flowing out of your mouth. And it's so easy to be overlooked. But Peter said these words for the first time to this congregation, probably quoting a passage from Psalm 55 in the Old Testament. He said, There, look at verse 7 Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's as if the Lord is saying, I got it. Give me your concern. Give me your care. Give me your fear. Give me your anxiety and live the life I've given you to live. Don't live with that care. Give it back to me. I'm the one who ordained it to come. Now give it back. For I care for you. You know the verse so well, it's almost easy to be overlooked. Peter was concerned about his friends. Now come up close to the to the Bible and hear me. They were hurting. This congregation of people were scared. These people had been scarred. You say, "What do you mean?" Nero was the Caesar at the time, and he was truly responsible for the burning of Rome. He had he had such a desire and a and a, a consuming passion to build buildings, and he wanted to build some fancy theater that was called the Circus Maximus that he helped to design because Nero had this. He had this fascination with the theater, and he even wrote plays. And at times, even as Caesar had performed in some certain place, he was an odd duck. And he really did play his fiddle while a bunch of Rome burnt down. And the Roman citizens, many lost their lives. They lost their businesses. They lost a purpose for living. And they were hurting and they were mad. They got upset with their government. Aren't we glad things have changed to the generation? We don't have that happening. And they said, why did you let this happen? And the government, Caesar, said, oh, no. No, it wasn't my fault. Once again, aren't you glad that the government always takes responsibility for whatever? And, And they said, no, it's not my fault. He said, it's that group of people that we call, what's it called? Yeah, Christians. Let's go after them. And severe persecution began to arise all over the area to where the church that Peter wrote was even in an underground setting. He referred to him as the church at Babylon. There was no Babylon church. It was a code name, a nickname, commentators will tell you, for the church in the Roman Empire. They were in underground settings because they feared for their life. And there was a concern for the severe persecution that had already arisen. And it didn't make sense. It couldn't make sense to them that their their family was hurting and, and loved ones were being uh, torched and lit to flame uh, to, to light up uh, their bodies uh, in, in a way so that uh, so the Roman citizens could sit in their stadiums and watch night games. They didn't have stadium lights. They had Christian lights burning around them. And as a result of it, many a Christian was suffering in such a severe way. And it's as if Peter was feeling their hurt, their fear, their anxieties, their confusion. Why is this happening? And he says to them, Satan has no new tricks. He's like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he can destroy. So. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, it may be tonight that you don't have a care in the world right now. On this Sunday night, things are just as peaceful for you. And I say I'm happy for you. I really am. I mean, everything's going great. Your bills are paid. Your job security is is settled. Uh, Your retirement plan is good. Uh, Your kid is finally passing geometry after four years. It's about time. Your car is in as good a shape as it's ever been. Your dog came back home and your cat ran away. It just couldn't be any. Cat lovers, please come back tomorrow night. I don't know why I keep knifing myself with all these little statements. It may be that everything's going well for you. Now, listen to me. I'm happy for you if that be the case. But just keep going to bed at night. Keep getting up in the morning. And something will begin to unravel in your life. It doesn't make sense. You may not feel like you need this truth tonight, but you will. Peter was trying to say to God's people, there's a way in which you can live in such a way that you're not enduring life. You're enjoying life. You know when you're a little child? You ever seen a little child cry? <laughs> because to them, everything is messed up because they fell off their tricycle. Now, If you were an unkind adult, you'd say, you think that's rough, kid. Wait till you have to pay the bills I got to pay. No, the kid can't understand that. His problem is a uh, falling off a bike. Uh, a teenager. Is scared to death about what people are thinking about them. I mean, they're always conscious of it. They, every everywhere they go, they're very concerned about: Do I look right? And, and you know, am I am I accepted by everybody in my school? And there and it is a fear in their life. And as an adult, you go, oh, "Come on, who cares?" Yeah, well, you were the same way. And then you become an adult, and the troubles continue to mount up. It's financial stress. It's emotional stress. It's uh, uh, serious sickness, stress—it's all kinds of pains that come into your life, and we don't cope with life—not very well. And we start thinking, I, "How am I gonna? How am I gonna live from day to day?" You don't like your job. You don't like your looks. You don't like your health. You don't like your car. You don't like your house. You don't like your height. You don't like your weight. You don't like anything. It just seems like life is a drudgery. Can I tell you something? If you're not careful, it will always be like that because it's always it's easy to find something where you have fallen off a bicycle and there's pains in your life. And Jesus, the Lord God, I should say, is saying to us through Peter's words, you got to care, cast it back on Him. Because he cares for you. Do you find yourself living with anxiety? Do you find yourself living with restlessness? Do you find yourself living with panic attacks? Are you listening? Catch this. Do you find yourself living on edge? Do you find yourself living with depression? So about five years... Just over five years ago, I was sitting in a doctor's office after after some x-rays, MRIs, and a bone marrow biopsy. You say, what's that? You don't want to ever have one. The doctor looked at me and he said, we have determined you have multiple myeloma. I'd never heard those words in my life. I didn't even know what it was. And in his doctor mode, he started kicking out everything he wanted to do to help me. And I said, doctor, are we talking cancer? And he paused and he said, yes. In my world, our world came to an absolute screeching halt. My world is... Going from one ministry to another, to another. In my mind, I was thinking, I don't have time for cancer. Well, who does? And I blatantly just said to him, well, how long is this going to take? He said, it's going to take months. I said, can we just have a surgery? I asked him, can we have a surgery where you can eliminate this pain in my back, my lower back? He said it's in your bone marrow. And it's multiple because it's going to start creeping out in other spots if we don't deal with where it is and get rid of it. And at the end of my treatments, we'll hand you over to another doctor where you will have a stem cell bone marrow transplant. Transplant. I I will say to you tonight, it scared me to death. The year 2018 was my year of having to battle with cancer. I won't give you all the details, don't even want to, except to say to you, I didn't think I'd ever have to deal with something like that. In years gone by, someone with multiple myeloma was dead within three to four years. He said, we have discovered through this transplant a person can live on for much longer. And every day, every day when the phone rang, we shook and with nervousness, we listened to the next appointment and the next information and the next report from this scan, this thing that's needed to be done and so forth. And then I had to make phone calls to every pastor and every camp ministry and every ministry and say, I can't come. I got to deal with cancer. This was my life. This is my life. I didn't have any other job to fall back on to pay my bills. Well, how are we going to live? And the stress began to mount up and I found some verses. When I say verses, I found a handful, about five, that became anchors to my life. That helped me when I was at times wanting to collapse and wander away into bitterness and confusion and fear. And this verse was one of those verses. Can I just share with you very quickly some things that I learned? Number one. It's taken a while to get to number one, I know. But number one. I discovered that there is an inevitable reality. It's an unalterable reality. It's an unchanging, irrevocable unavoidable, inevitable reality. You say, well, what is that? You're going to have cares. That's what Peter is saying here. He didn't say to the people he wrote to, Now, some of you who are listening to me as I read, as I write this letter to you, you're going to have cares. Others of you uh, in the church family, you're not going to have cares. So just give time to those who are really going to battle through some cares and some stresses and worries and anxieties of life. Let me talk to them. And you just listen. No, no. He was talking to every single one, to young, to the elderly, to the married, to the unmarried, uh, to, to every age bracket. He was saying, you're going to have cares. It's inevitable. Life is filled with fiery trials. Life is filled with moments of being hurt. So deep you can't even express how deep the hurt is. There are times in which you're so scared and so lonely and so depressed and so fearful and so worried. That you don't even know how you can take another breath. Can I remind God's people tonight? Don't miss this. Trials. Cares that Peter was referring to. They are not punishments from your Lord. They're tools. They're His tools to chip away on you, to make you more like Jesus Christ. He's already carried your sins to the cross and paid for them. And yet Satan begins to whisper when we're going through some difficulty, you're such a loser. You're such a failure. God doesn't love you like he loves somebody else. Your life's a mess. You might as well throw in the towel. Don't follow God. These trials, these cares are not referenced as something that Peter said to them. Now You you need to get things cleaned up and right with God. Look, trials or sufferings of life come for either correction or perfection. And every time God's ever had to correct me, I knew why. I, God the Father is not one who disciplines His children and then says, now go figure out why I did that. He, he will discipline us and bring us back into sweet fellowship when we wander away from Him. But the type of correction or perfecting work that's going on here, the trial here is a trial of perfection. He's making us more like Him. I'm pretty simple minded. But can I just tell you that sometimes cares come from various ways and sometimes it's people that cause these cares that mount up in our life. People. And then problems. And then just personal stumblings in our life. And then our own personality. Some people in this room may be prone to being a lot more introspective and every time something goes wrong, oh, God's mad at me. God's upset. And you just have this natural depressed spirit. And Peter says, cast all those cares upon him. It's an inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. And I've discovered, now listen, they they, sometimes they come from our past. There are things that were done to us. Maybe something that happened in your your young days as a child growing up, something that happened in your past, something you have no control over, Uh, something that some decision you made that you wish you could change or something that, that uh, occurred in your past when you were in the military or, or something in some school that you attended. And you find yourself saying things like, if only I had not gone and taken that job. If only I hadn't gone into the military. If only I had have gone into the military and not taken that job. If only I hadn't taken that first drink. If only I hadn't uh, pursued that first website online. If only, if only. Let me tell you something. The past... Is something that you can learn from, but you can't change the past, but you can change the meaning of the past and learn lessons from the past without being haunted by the past. And Peter is saying to God's people, it may be your past that has become a care in your life. I've I've talked to some people through the years who've talked to me about some uh, struggle and difficulty and their heavy heartedness and so forth. And I'll go, oh, my friend, I'm so sorry to hear this. Now, when did this happen? And they'll go, hmm. See, it has been 30 years ago. 30 years ago. What are you doing dragging that along in your life? The Apostle Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but with this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth into those things which are before, I'm pressing on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Is something in your past taking away your hope and peace and causing you to live with care? If it's not the past, it may be the present. There are some people who just, how am I going to get everything done? How am I going to get it? Your concern is about today's finances, today's responsibilities, today's uh, issues and battles that you had to face. One lady went to her pastor one time and she said, Pastor, I know you told us that we shouldn't worry. But she said, you know, something? I think worrying really helps. And he said, what? She goes, yeah, I've discovered most of the things I worry about never happen. So she said, it must really help to worry. He said, no, no. You've misunderstood the whole thing. Worrying doesn't change anything, except maybe the lining in your stomach makes you more sick. The lady that was a friend of Jesus by the name of Martha, do you remember her? She was flitting around in the kitchen, whatever it was she had, making a big meal for everybody. She got so upset with her sister Mary and with Jesus. And she said, Jesus, would you make my sister get up? Of- and, of- and Jesus said, Martha, M- Martha, Martha. Catch your breath. Chill. That's hidden in the Greek language, but I think it's there. And he said, you are careful about many things. No, look. The word careful there means you are full of care about so many things. And he said, recognize that Mary has discovered a place of peace here at my feet. Sometimes it's the present concerns. Oh, my God. If you're too much like me, a type A person, thinking I got to get everything done that I've got on my list that I want to do today, and ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You can find yourself living with tied up in knots. It's not the past. It is not the present. It is, you know, the future, the possibilities of the future. What if I lose my job? What if the car won't run another day? What if my kid doesn't pass that class? What if? Uh, uh, Some lady thinks, my husband dies before I do. What if? And the list goes on and on. (laughs) Worrying about tomorrow's concerns today makes today cloudy. When God gives you enough grace and strength to face tomorrow's concerns. Then, and not now. Things don't make sense. But you don't find you don't find your security, you don't find your settleness by understanding why. I need to know why. You'll never find your hope and peace and security in understanding why. You find your peace and hope in security in knowing He knows what He's doing. You ever ridden on a plane? And this always concerns me when the the pilot gets on the speaker and he says, "I'm going to ask that everybody quickly get back to your seat. I ask that the flight attendants get to their seat. Everybody, please tighten your seatbelt. We're about to hit some turbulence." You know, I just want to say, pal, if you know what there's some turbulence up there ahead, can you can you go around it? Or something? I mean, can you can you go above it, below it? I, I don't care if I don't get to my destination for a week or two, but avoid that turbulence. He knows it's coming. You know what Peter is saying to God's people? It's coming. You're going to have cares. It's inevitable. Number two, it's a second lesson I learned. Not only an inevitable reality, but number two, an instant response. Look at our verse again. Look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon him. Casting. The word casting means to throw something on something. It's like when the, when Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem that we, we have called uh, Palm Sunday. They cast their garments on the donkey and on the road. And then they began to praise him. And they said, Hosanna, you're the son of David. They were casting those outer belongings on those donkeys, on that donkey and on the road because he was coming. And then they could worship him better. Sometimes I'm afraid that our worship of the Lord is not everything it ought to be because we're still hanging on to our cares and our concerns. When the truth is, the word casting here is the same word used in that reference to the Lord Jesus. Peter says, don't hang on to your cares. Cast them on him, on the Lord. It's the word that means to throw with great energy or with great force. Here it is, with with urgency, with quickness. It's the idea of not hanging on to something to not be responsible for it. When it comes into your, into your grasp, get rid of it. I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. My family's a baseball family. I love playing in the infield. I love being shortstop through the years. And my mind was constantly thinking, if that ground ball comes to me, I got to get it out of my glove quickly. And fire it over uh, to the first baseman as fast as I can to get that runner, that batter, out before he gets there. You didn't you didn't throw some little lollygag of a rainbow throw over there. You, you cast it as quickly as you can. That's the picture here. It's the idea of don't hang on to it. What's in your life that's a care? Is it a person? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it... Is it a, a job, employment? Is it something you can't even verbalize? Don't hang on to it. The idea here that Peter is saying here is to get it out of your, your hands and put it back on the Lord. He's the one who ordained it. He's the one who gave it to you. You say, well, why did he? Well, I don't know all the reasons, but it may be that he's doing it for the purpose of us learning how to turn to him more frequently. And to say to him, I don't want this, I love you, and I know you love me, and I know you've got a purpose for this. Take this off of me. My son said to me on the phone, hang up the phone. I got it, Dad. Go live your life. Go preach. Don't concern yourself with mom and her car. I got it. And the Lord is saying, what is your concern? Let me have it. Jesus said, come unto me. All ye who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he says, because I am meek and lowly. I am gentle and lowly. I am here for you. You, you. you ever play with a yo-yo? Kids do all the time. You know, you, you, you throw it, you throw it down, and you just kind of flick that wrist, and it. Comes right back up, and throw it down, comes right back up. Kind of a fun thing with a yo-yo. It's not good with your prayer life. And some of us pray yo-yo prayers. Oh, Lord, Lord, I'm giving, I'm casting this concern at your feet. God, take this burden. I don't know what to do with it, Lord. Here it is. Take it off of me. Okay, thank you, Lord. And We pick it right back up. And we walk off with it. You say, preacher. But I've been hurt. Preacher, I'm scared. Preacher, I'm I'm ashamed. Preacher, I'm worried. Preacher, I'm I'm uh, depressed. Preacher, I'm I don't know what this is that is going on. I understand. You say, well, I can cast it on the Lord, but it's just going to be ever present. Then cast it again. He said, but it'll come back. Then cast it again and again and again. And at some point you're going to say, Lord, this is yours. I, I don't need to carry this. It's on you. I would sit upstairs in our house. And I will say to you, God's grace was very sufficient for me as I battled through cancer for an entire year. Most of the time, I was pretty upbeat. I really was. I can only say to you, it was a a grace that was given to me. I can't explain it. But there were a handful of times that I got afraid. I didn't want to leave Lynn. I didn't want to leave my kids. I wanted to keep preaching. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go if you want to bring me home. But I want to stay. Let me stay. And I got, I got fearful. And there were a few times. I remember one time in particular, Lynn, who was my caretaker. Couldn't have made it without her. Was coming up the steps as she did several times a day just to check on me, see if I needed anything. One time she came up and I was just weeping. Morris, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I said. I'm just casting. I mean, I'm just casting my cares on him. I'll be fine. I'm just going through it right now. I wish I could say to you tonight that when you cast your cares on him, it's d- done one time and it's over with. No, you're probably going to have to repeat the process. But Peter is saying here, cast. This is your immediate reaction, your immediate response. Cast it on him. My mom used to work with needle craft and and I would sit on the floor and I'd be playing with my baseball cards and I'd look up and she she'd have this needle going through a piece of fabric and it'd be coming right back up and down and up and down and up. And all I could see from my vantage point was a bunch of strings hanging down, you know. And I said to her, I said, that sure is ugly, mom. What What is it? You know, just a good son that I was. And she said, she said, you don't know what I'm doing. I said, no, I don't know what you're doing. But it's ugly. She said, come here. And when I got up close to mom and stood up and looked from her vantage point, I looked down, I'd see a butterfly or a mountain or something that she was designing on that fabric. I couldn't see it from my vantage point. There are times I've looked at the Lord and I said, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And the Lord says, you don't know what I'm doing. And you may not ever know. Job, I don't think, ever found out until he got to heaven. You know what Job didn't have? The book of Job. He didn't know. (laughs) Now, if he wrote the book, then God revealed it to him. But I don't know that he wrote it. And so he lived with question marks. What's going on? I've been there and you've been there. Number one, the inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. Number two, the instant response. Cast it back on him. And number three, and finally, there's an incredible reason. Well, why should we keep casting it on him? What's the incredible reason? Look at verse seven cast all your care upon him and here's the reason this is incredible for he careth for you you can put your name in the margin of your bible he cares for me he cares for you put your name there i'm not a greek scholar but i'm going to tell you what he's saying there he's saying this this statement he careth for you is in the present tense I don't want to turn this into an english class but you know what that means don't you it means it's happening right now Right now. He told me to preach this tonight. He cares for you. Right now. And he will tomorrow in the middle of the night and next month and whenever. He cares for you. Present tense. It's written in the active voice. You say, what does that mean? It means it's not hypothetical. It's not preacher hyperbole. It's real. His care for you is more real than the wood of this pulpit and the A floor that your feet are sitting on. It is real. You can go to the bank on it. And it's in the indicative mood. What does that mean? It means it will always be true. It never runs out. And let me put it like this. He's always cared for you. And he always will. And he cares for you right now. When you read these words that you've read so many times, it would be easy for you to, rec- to think to yourself, well, that's a wonderful verse and I love to hang on to it, but then we pick it back up and we carry our cares with us. When the Lord is saying to us, I, I care for you. Why are you carrying that worry, that anxiety, that doubt, that fear? Why are you carrying that? Give it here. Did you know that right now the Lord knows that You need money to put gas in your car tomorrow. He knows. You don't know where you're going to get the money. He knows all about it. He knows your kids need shoes. He knows your house needs a new roof on it. He knows your vehicle needs new tires. He knows your project at work is overwhelmingly huge. He knows your hurt is deep. He knows. He knows right now what you're going through. And he says, I care for you. You say, well, is it good to think on this? Is it good to meditate on this? Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you why. Because it'll help you to worship him better. Say, I can't believe how good you are. I'll tell you what else it'll do. It'll help you to recognize. I don't know what everybody else is going through. They have cares too. And I don't need to be judgmental of somebody that irritates me. I don't know what they're going. It'll make you more forgiving. It'll make you more caring. It'll make you more loving when you recognize how good God's been to you. Yeah, it's good to think on this. It's good to meditate on this. And many a revival in a church is hindered because people are saying, oh, those are good truths, preacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, God is good. Yeah, he's really good. And then we just carry all our cares to life. And the Lord is saying, I want to put a fresh joy in your life like you've never Had for quite a while at least. Until you give me back those cares. I repeat. It may be that you're not going through anything tonight. Good. But just wait till the next phone call. Just wait till the next doctor's report. You say no Morris don't start that. And don't you start worrying about it. Because whatever care may come. God's ordained it. And you can rest in him. Almost to the day. A year later, from the day in which I heard I had cancer, almost to the day, a year later, my doctor said to me, the one who had performed the transplant of my stem cell bone marrow, he said, well, you're in remission. You're good. And I said, that's good news. He said, yeah. He was so drop-dead serious, I thought, well, why ain't he happy? The nurse standing by the door looked at me and my wife, and she said, congratulations. I wanted to say to Lynn, go hug her neck and tell her thanks for being excited for this. I, I love the word remission. And I said, can I get back to preaching and traveling and doing my, living my life? And he said, take it easy, but yeah. And every once in a while, it's just been good for me to reflect and remember how good God was. And more, most importantly, I am thankful for the lessons I learned. Like I can cast my care upon him because he cares for me. And I I promised the Lord that if he'd give me another chance, I would go tell God's people to do the same thing. May God help us. Would you bow your heads with me, please, tonight? I'm not about to ask you tonight, are you going through a stress filled time? Because I think that most Christians would, if they were honest, would say, yeah, I'm going through some things now that I wish I could change. I think most Christians would say, yeah, I'm going through some painful difficulties. I think most Christians would say, yeah, Morris, uh, I I don't even know how to verbalize this thing, but I'm a. I, I I worry. I, I'm fearful. I'm doubting. I'm battling my emotions. I'm not trying to stir something up that doesn't need to be stirred. I'm just trying to remind all of God's people tonight. You're not. You don't have to live that way. We have peace <coughs> with God through salvation. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is. The war is over between us and holy God. When you come to Christ for salvation, that war between you and God is over. You have peace. But the Christian sometimes doesn't live in peace. Paul told the church in Philippi, he said, be full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto him. And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. So I don't know if tonight you've been living with a lack of sweet peace and confidence that God's doing something in your life. He's carving Christ in you. And I've said nothing tonight that the vast majority of you don't already know. But to you as a church family, to you as an individual, I plead with you, let the scriptures minister to your heart. tonight. And I want you to listen carefully because we're going to do something just a bit different. In fact, I want to help everybody here tonight. Most of the time, a preacher says, all right. Let's stand, and if God's dealt with you, let's find a place to get on our knees. And maybe you do need to get on your knees tonight and take some time with your Lord. Maybe you need to, and I would never hinder anybody from doing that. But I'm going to ask you just to stay seated. Oh, you say, I like that. No, just listen. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And we're going to, at that moment, the music will begin after I pray, and I'm going to let you stay seated. And here's what I'm going to encourage you as a child of God to do tonight. A young person, an adult, whoever you may be, take your care to the Lord and cast it on him tonight. If it's in the plural, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Give it to him again tonight. And then at the end of that prayer, simply say, now, Lord, refresh and revive me this week. In this meeting, bring me personally a revival that only you can do. It shouldn't take long to pray those words. And when you're through praying, and I hope that you're listening. When you're through praying, then just stand up. When you're finished, just stand up after you pray. And if the person sitting near you or next to you prays longer than you, don't feel guilty. It's not some kind of a contest to see who can pray longer. You just pray a and cast those cares on him and say, Lord, I don't want to carry these things. You got them. And Lord, refresh my spiritual life. Revive me this week. And then just stand up when you're through praying. If the person next to you prays briefer than you, don't feel rushed. You finish your prayer. And when you're through praying, then you stand up. Then Pastor Scott will come and at some given point in time, when he feels like it's sufficient time, he'll conclude with whatever words and prayer to conclude us with. Would you take time with your Lord Father? Be with these my new friends. Comfort where comfort is needed. Encourage anyone discouraged. Strengthen anyone who's weak. And may we in our generation, like the generation that Peter wrote to, find ourselves finding strength in the one who wants our cares and doesn't want us to carry them. I pray that you'll finish this service as only you can, in Jesus' wonderful name. As the music begins...